show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago and it's gone right to my head. Wherever I may roam, on land or sea or foam, you can always hear me sing this song. Show me the way to go home. Hello. Welcome to, not the virtual pub, to my living room uh, for some drinks trivia and social history with absolutely no tasting notes. You're pulling a face at your drink already. What's going on? I put way too much tequila in my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I made the mistake. So we're drinking liqueur coffees. Um, I made the mistake of allowing Larry to pour her own Whoa. because you're having De Serrano in yours yes. and I'm having Frangelico in mine. Um. I didn't get to finish the intro Sorry, before, no, before before I took all the skin off of my mouth. Yeah, exactly. Um so I'm Tim, that's Leary. Um what what are we serving today? Obviously I've said what we're drinking. Yeah, half a pint of uh Disarono with a touch of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Mm. Well, seeing as it's only eleven AM, I thought I'd put just a touch of Frangelica in mine. I thought a uh, double shot in there because I feel like when you order a disorder in the pub, they give you a 50 mil serving. Okay. So that's was my goal, but yeah. I may have been a bit. And then you, really then you went a bit extra on top of that as well. Just for, yeah. for safety. <laughs> um, We're going to be talking gifts because mm. it's tis the season for gift giving. Yes. Um, So we thought we'd take that as a theme and see where we go with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Why do we give gifts in December? Because of baby Jesus. Well, is it? Let's okay. explore. Because of Santa. Myth busted. <laughs> Already. <laughs> Why do we get gifts in December? Many reasons is the answer. Um, so, yeah, it is obviously a Christian tradition uh, that's practised around the world. However, uh, it's not exclusive to Christianity. Lots of other religions mark the end of the year with similar customs. You've got the Jewish Festival of Lights of Hanukkah. You've got the Hindu celebration of Pajaganapati, which is honouring Lord Ganesha, one of the best gods, because he's an elephant. And, but with Christians, the gifts given at Christmas, obviously, they're, as you said, meant to be a tribute to baby Jeebus. Didn't turn my notifications off, let's do that now. Bye work. <laughs> it's It's the season for closing the tab of work saying, can you do something? Um, yeah, obviously it's made in tribute to baby Jeeba, uh, Jesus. <laughs> I shouldn't call him Jeebus. <laughs> I've watched too much Simpsons. <laughs> um, by the three wise men after his birth during the story of the nativity. Were you, did you ever do the nativity at school? I did. Um, Who were you? I think I was the star. The star of yeah. the show? <laughs> well, I almost Or did. the kid who had to stand at the back holding... Holding a the Christmas stand, decoration yes, aloft. Stand there, hold that, shut up. That was my job. <laughs> of course. Uh, I was one of the three wise men, I remember. Of course you were. I don't remember which one. They are, they are Melchior, Casper and Balthazar, um, according to the New Testament in the uh, Bible, um, that, that followed said star mm -hmm. uh, and found him and presented him with gold, frankincense and myrrh. Um, yeah, I remember. I remember being a wise man, and I remember doing um, like a Noah's Ark nativity where I had to play a hippopotamus. Oh dear! Which, you know, imposing those kinds of body issues on a four-year-old was already quite, quite a thing. Um, but the tradition of this gift giving doesn't actually begin with the wise men. We have traditions before that, um, in the roots of things like ancient Roman festivals, in particular. The biggest one's probably the festival of Saturnalia, or Saturnalia, I don't know, I've probably used that pronunciation variously, mm. uh, where thanks is given to um, the bounty provided by Saturn, who is the god of agriculture. So thanks for all the crops and stuff this year, let's eat them all. Mm. Um, they took place traditionally between the 17th and 23rd of December. And was celebrated, first of all, with a sacrifice, and then, not not a human one, just like a chicken or something, goats. Mm. Goats mostly, actually, I seem to remember. I don't think a stick, don't I? Do you know what it is? It's it's because, as far as I remember, um, goats were mostly the problem, um, 
the problem animals eating in particular the vines of the wine okay, they would eat yeah. the crops and so they actually yeah they actually had a tradition of a, a festival earlier in december not not saturnalia another one where they this is horrible oh, no. they would skin the goats and then like blow it up into a balloon and then jump on it and that was to honour the god Bacchus, saying, like, you know, we've saved your vines from these goats. Mm, they don't need to be so extra about it. Yeah. Jesus. Mm. So anyway, we have a sacrifice. Then we have a big um, banquet. Um, and then there's uh, gift giving. And then there's partying all through the, se- uh, the season. It's very wild. I mean, as you would expect mm-hmm. from any kind of roman celebration but in particular it's because they do away with etiquette social mores the traditional social standings so for example masters and slaves are considered to be well on the same level but actually more inverse so you have examples written down where uh, masters would be serving their slaves dinner um and you know they're allowed to speak freely in whatever manner they want so it's kind of it all goes a bit topsy-turvy at that time of year so the gift exchange happened on the 19th of december which was known as sigillaria and they were supposed to be in keeping with this topsy-turvy nature of the season so you weren't looking to get really nice gifts you wanted like the gag gifts so they did give you know kind of modest things like candles and figurines but you would be looking for the ones that made people either laugh or terrified them in some way. You're always kind of looking for that jokey gift. And in general, the the shitter the gift, the more you liked the person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like if you just, you know, give someone a bag of nuts or something. <laughs> and you're like, there you go. And you think, oh, they hate me. Mm-hmm. But if I was to, I don't know, give you a poo in a box, it would say, oh, I really like you. Right. That's the vibe they were going for. Okay. <laughs> um, some of um some of the wealthier citizens as well would give kind of a stipend to their employees or, or their slaves as well, known as a sigillarchium. Um, and that would be to help them uh, be able to afford their gifts. They'd be like, here's some money, go and buy some stupid gifts, give to me. That's what kind of all marriages are now anyway. So it's like... Here's my credit card. I'll buy me something. When you say all marriages, you mean the relationship from your husband to you. Yeah. Have you ever given him your credit card? Um, I don't have a credit card. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, there's a there's a phrase uh, that that goes on kind of like we would be Merry Christmas to everyone. Um, they say Yo Saturnalia. Not yo as in yo yo. <laughs> it's um I O. So some some people would pronounce it io, but same, it was kind same. of like it's kind of just saying I in Italian. Some people say io, and some people say yo. Io. So yo. <laughs> <laughs> Sting was there. Um, <laughs> so yo Saturnalia is the kind of the exclamation, the ritual exclamation, and it would be triumphant celebration to Bacchus, but also to punctuate a joke. Okay. So everything was jokes and drinking and and um upending traditions. Uh there are sources that refer to a a, a person or a role called Saturnalicius Princeps or ruler of the Saturnalia. Great drug name. <laughs> it is, yeah. Might have got that. Um so they would be sort of the master of the ceremonies for the proceedings. Um, that would be drawn by lot. So it's completely random who would be in charge of all the festivities. That would be quite familiar to us in other traditions we have, like um, Lord of Misrule and a lot of Midsummer festivals. In fact, there's a lot of similarities between the the Midwinter and the Midsummer festivals, and it's usually about kind of subverting rules and letting people who aren't ordinarily in charge kind of tell you what to do. But they would have things like tell people to get naked and sing they'd be thrown into the river like any old commands to annoy people they would be allowed to get away with <laughs> um so they had to be obeyed by the other guests and this role was apparently uh, also taken on by the emperor nero uh, it says in his youth now given that they're supposed to be kind of drawn at random i don't know whether it was a nice coincidence 
or knowing Nero and because he you know he was an actor before he became emperor where well, he's he still acted when he was an emperor he loved the attention he loved being center of attention I can imagine he demanded that that mm-hmm. role mm-hmm. Uh, rather than it being completely random um so unlike some of the cultish festivals held in the Roman Empire where you find it's quite localized the traditions and they don't carry as well saturnalia was celebrated throughout the territories of rome which you know is a big spread across the world um and i think it's really because of the gift giving and the fun times the atmosphere the entertainments um all of that meant that of of all the weird kind of festivities and traditions the roman empire had this was one that was not going to go away um, you know, with the adoption of Christianity. So you have the conversion of Emperor Constantine to Christianity in 312 CE. And that was meant to be sort of the end of the pagan celebrations. You know, they're like, we're not going to do that anymore. We're all about one God, etc., etc. But they really were not very successful at trying to ban Saturnalia mm-hmm. um, because it was too fun. Um, so instead, what they thought was, well, we can put... A, a sort of a rival feast on at the same time and adopt all the same customs that way people still get to have their experience but it is now a christian thing so they decided that was going to be the birth of jesus that's what they were going to choose as their um to adopt as the festival so they kept the customs of uh gift giving um and drinks and they associated it then with the gifts of the magi to jesus um which is meant to happen kind of on Twelfth night, anyway, and that's where you get these kind of various things of people giving it at the beginning of Advent, on Twelfth night, on Christmas Day, and people have different approaches to when they give it. Um, and I think that's also influenced by the life of uh, Nicolaus of Myra, otherwise known as Saint Nick, who was a fourth century saint famed for his fondness for giving people gifts. Um, and of course, yeah, he became known as Saint Nicholas, which is then also kind of turned into Santa Claus through various kind of language versions of that. Um, he is a saint who has all of his bones in one place. Now, if you know if you know your saints and kind of relics, holy relics, they often kind of take small pieces of you know of of the of the bones or whatever else of the hair, the teeth, and they put it into. Um, special boxes or rings and then you usually find them in lots of kind of churches uh, particularly throughout Europe but throughout the world but Saint Nicholas is actually kept all together all of his bones are in in one space and what's interesting as well is they did do scientific testing on it they you know carbon dated it because most relics are medieval bullshit there was this whole industry that came up in medieval times where people would just create relics and they'd be like oh come and see our relic at our church so they decided to do some scientific testing on it, and it turns out that it does in fact date to the 4th century. So it's very likely that they are actually his bones. He was a real person, they really are his bones. Um, in addition to that, he was a, a patron saint of sex workers, because one of his early good deeds was that he saved um, three women from, from sex work by dropping bags of coins um, into their room at night, like through the window. Um, like a sexy tooth fairy. Like a sexy tooth fairy, which gave him a dowry to then go and be married. Uh, one of his more f- famous and um, lurid miracles as well is that he supposedly resurrected three children who had been killed, pickled in brine, and were being sold as pork. What? What, so. he resurrected them after they'd been sold as pork? Yeah. Sure. I don't think they like came to life inside someone's stomach. Oh, I don't know the details of yeah. the resurrection. Yeah. But that's what happened to them, apparently. So, yeah. Um, think about that next time you have something pickled for Christmas. <laughs> mm. So the tradition of gift giving spreads throughout the world, thanks to Christian colonialism. Um, but it wasn't without its resistors in certain countries. Perhaps the most surprising, before you really think about it, is that it was really resisted by the USA. Um, in fact, it was banned for 100 years, but that's because of how Puritan they are. So in 1776, 75% of people in New England were Puritan, um, which meant that Christmas was outlawed. They didn't like any fun at all in any in any form. And it wasn't until 1870 that Christmas becomes a federal holiday and kind of the stigma of it uh, goes away. I love it now. 
Well, this is the thing. This is why it's so notable because they went from completely banning it for nearly a hundred years to being the main drivers culturally for it becoming such a commercial entity. Um, and then, you know, it kind of happened post-war. So the 20th century Christmas becomes this really big phenomenon. I mean, to be fair, a lot of the Victorian British had to do a lot to do with this, you know, Charles Dickens, Christmas Carol, mm -hmm. um, the traditions of the Christmas trees, Christmas cards. So a lot of the things, yes, did kind of were popularized by Victorian, but they were still quite crafty and homemade and stuff. It wasn't like you have to go and buy lots Spend of money. stuff. Yeah. Um, I think what was notable, it, you know, along with it kind of becoming this industry post-World War Two, is that in the USA, the um, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution states that there's a separation between church and state. Um, I mean, we don't have a constitution in the UK, but we do have lots of doctrine which does not uh, specify that we have a separation between church and state, which is not good. Um, but it but it meant that kind of they were able to really push into that commercialization by saying this is a federal holiday it's a state thing it's all about businesses and happiness you don't have to be christian to enjoy christmas mm -hmm. i think they're probably the first country that really pushed that yeah. forward um the figure of santa claus for example i think is something that is both religious and secular even though i just said it comes from saint nicholas um it gets adopted kind of pretty much everywhere um, he is the main gift giver, particularly to children in the media, um, on adverts and cards. And perhaps most memorably in Coca-Cola's Holidays Are Coming ad campaign. Is it true, Mr. Misfather? Mm -hmm. Is it the Coca-Cola campaign that kind of changed his outfit from green to red? Mythbusted. This is the very question I was going to ask you. Was it? Yeah. Do you? What do you think? I think it was. So a lot of people think it was, but Mythbusted. Mythbusted. Um, no. So the first appearance of a modern Santa Claus, complete with what we consider to be the Santa suit, was actually drawn by a guy called Thomas Nast. Mm -hmm. And NASA original drawings were of a small Santa who could slide down chimneys. <laughs> so this kind of thing of Santa comes down your chimney and now we have to go, oh yeah, he's really fat and we don't have chimneys anymore, but it's magic. <laughs> like then everyone had chimneys and he'd made Santa really small, like a sort of gnome thing, um, which makes more sense now without coming down the chimney thing. Um, but later he makes him a full size version of the red suit. Um, so yeah, he was the first to draw Santa wearing a red suit with fur lining and a nightcap and a black belt with large buckles. So the absolute classic image we have. Prior to that, Santa um, wasn't mostly in green. He was mostly in tan colour. Yeah. Um, and it was that that he changed to red, but he did also draw a green version. So it was mostly tan and then Nas drew green and red versions mm -hmm. of it. Um... So, yeah, it's often mistakenly attributed to the work of Haddon Sundblom, who drew images of Santa for Coca-Cola um, since 1931. And it's true that that image was popularised, you know, it became very popular as a result of the Coca-Cola ads um, and Sundblom's work. But um, it was shown on the covers of Harper's Weekly about 40 years prior to that. So certainly can't claim to be the ones who, uh, who invented it. Thomas Nast, uh, by the way, is what he said. So he was German-born, but he lived in the US. He kind of he studied and lived there. He also created the US Republican Party's elephant mascot. Oh, busy yeah. guy. Very busy. So everyone knows that Christmas is commercial. There's lots of uh, potential for it. Um, and it's quite common to see santa as an image an exchange of gifts in countries where christianity is either kind of not so popular or almost non-existent i think the best example of that is probably in japan um, when you go to japan less than one percent of the population is identifies as christian so it's a purely commercial holiday but it's still really popular mm -hmm. you know sometimes people say in, uh, in this country Oh yeah, it is secular, but we're still largely Christian. But you can look at countries like Japan that you know they they almost don't exist, but Christmas is still a massive thing. Um, so they give gifts and they don't reference the religion of it at all, uh, and eat KFC. 
Yeah. <laughs> right, there we go. So gift giving, not as Christian as you thought. No. Busted. <laughs> what have you got? Um, I've got gift giving in the animal kingdom. Oh, okay. Yeah, because... Give a dog a bone. Give a dog a bone. But more, not so much giving animals gifts, but animals giving each other gifts, or sometimes us gifts. But I just thought that was nice to delve into, and so I did. Um, I think the most popular one that everyone knows about is penguins. You know what gifts penguins like to give each other? Um, is are they? Is it small chocolate biscuits? Mm, it's not because I could pick up a penguin. Oh, no. okay. No. Nope. Um, so it's little pebbles. It's been quite like romanticized by media, and everyone thinks that penguins will spend, you know, days searching for like the perfect pebble that looks pretty in yeah. order to present to their partner, which is kind of true, but it's not just based on like aesthetics and stuff. So, long story short, they're very hard to find in the Antarctic anyway. You can't find pebbles and rocks all that easily. So it's, you know, th there's a lot of work and thought gone into it in that sense. Um, and yes, they are pretty, but um, they are also used to build nests. So essentially, it's like a proposal when a penguin gives or presents their potential mate with a rock because they're essentially saying to them like i want to build a nest with you yeah and obviously we all know that uh penguins once they find a partner they are lifelong partners mm -hmm. so i thought that's a nice place to start little with a little pretty rock lovely cute um dolphins they like uh offering gifts as well um so when a male dolphin wants to woo a female Mm -hmm. uh, as well as playing a tune from his blowhole. <laughs> I often do that. You um, you were doing that a lot this morning. <laughs> I was, but I wasn't trying to mate with you. I'm rewarding you off. <laughs> uh, yeah, he'll play a tune from his blowhole. He'll also strike what's known as a banana pose. Oh, yeah, I've done that as well. <laughs> um, no, he'll also look for a gift, um, specifically a uh, sponge from the ocean floor. Hmm. Um, what they'll do is they'll bring it to the surface and present it to the female after tossing it around or sometimes even wearing it as a hat. Oh, I would love to see that. It's cute, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, these sponges, they're quite hard to retrieve. It takes quite a lot of strength to like rip it from the ocean floor. So they think it makes them look quite matching mm -hmm. if they've managed to do that. But researchers actually don't agree with that. They find that the women aren't all that impressed with it. They're just like, get that fucking sponge off your head. You look stupid. Yeah, that sounds more <laughs> typical. <laughs> um, but dolphins also like to give gifts um, to other dolphins and humans in a non kind of sexual sense as well. Um, as a kind of like some different studies vary on why they think they do it. Some studies think they do it as a as a thank you. Others do it as a, they feel like you need the gift. So some studies have seen that dolphins will offer bits of fish and food to, um, if they're in like captivity or whatever, they'll be offering gifts to the people that feed them. Cause they, and they can't tell quite yet if it's a thank you, here's one for you, mm -hmm. or it's a, well, I can see that you've never got anyone bringing you any and you haven't got any, so you might need some. So yeah. they're not sure yet if it's a, thank you present or a you need this as well yeah because both of those exist in nature don't they like Absolutely you see do. you particularly see you know birds like clever birds will often bring things to pay for a service or yes. for food mm -hmm. whereas cats if they bring you stuff it's because they think you're incapable of mm -hmm. looking after yourself yeah 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 100 percent. but yeah not quite in agreement yet the researchers as to why dolphins do it um should we get on some gruesome one mm-hmm uh scorpion flies okay uh so that's a 10 slender bodied a tan slender bodied winged insect that's about an inch long uh their presence uh spitballs oh uh the females love them uh so they the, the males give them this nutrient packed ball of saliva it's a tasty treat uh and while she's enjoying that she lets them have sex with them mm, spit on it yeah spit quite literally spit on it 
Um, fireflies uh, do insects. Male fireflies provide their mate with gift packages of sperm and nutrients called spermatophores. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as fertilizing the eggs, it supplies the female with proteins and nutrition. Um, fun fact: fireflies don't actually eat as adults, so that kind of little care package of jizz and food mm-hmm. <laughs> will um, mm-hmm. prolong her life. So yeah. give her the gift of life as well as in every way. <laughs> it's a good. I'm just really pleased that you're drinking De Serrano, uh for this episode, based on the uh, sort of drink gifts you've researched. Yeah. Today. God. <laughs> but as well as extending her life, it also it's it's full of all the good stuff. It contains a substance called Lucy Bufagin, which protects her and her offspring from being eaten. Also a good drag name. Welcome to the stage, Lucy Bufagin. Bufagin. Um so yeah, fireflies. There you have lovely care packages. Um sagebush crickets. Mm-hmm. Um, self-sacrifice. So as they mate, the male will let her chew on his fleshy hind wings, mm-hmm. uh, sucking out all the hemolymph, which is bug blood, basically, um, as nourishment. So if you've got big wings, she'll, she'll have you. Um, if some, like, if they've had, like, tried and failed to mate, and you can see, like, their wings are slightly shredded already... Not having it. Not, not having it. Yeah. I don't want you around my house. Um, nursery web spiders. These are great. Um, again, more snacks. Uh, but this time it's not on their body. They wrap a freshly caught insect in silk and offer it to the female. So they actually gift wrap. It. Mm. It's quite cute. Um, she might refuse. If she does that, they just add more silk on it to make it look a bit better. <laughs> be like yeah <laughs> we've all done that with the crap presents been yeah. like let's wrap it put a bell on it and then stick it in a bag with some tissue paper exactly but it's to the same female it's not like give it to someone else it's mm-hmm. like they'll just try it again and try and fool her um lots of studies into these and lots of quite funny findings i think because i thought well why would you refuse a nicely wrapped gift that's mm-hmm. a bit mean well the trick is when they give them this gift and they're unwrapping it that's when they do the deed so it's like, right. okay, whilst you're unwrapping that, I'm going to have my way with you. Mm-hmm. And they found that as many as 70% of those gifts were actually fake. Ah, uh, well, no wonder you don't want just want to give it away some wrapping. Also, um, scientists have started to notice that because the second attempt usually works, they started to look into that and as to like why. Mm-hmm. And they think that the spiders actually add chemicals to that silk. Yeah. They kind of like roofie them. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes they do. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Um... I think you like this next one. Great grey shrikes, mm-hmm. little birds. Um, they curate gruesome exhibitions of their hunting skills by impaling prey on thorns and twigs, and they just kind of display them to the females. They put them somewhere particularly where they know the females can see them. So metal. It is. So yeah, metal. I like that. <laughs> also, during courtship, um, they may also often offer their kills directly to the potential lifelong partner, like. Here's a dead thing. Do you mm-hmm. want to be my wife? Um, larger items like snakes and lizards. Obviously, win more points than smaller stuff like bees and grasshoppers. Mm-hmm. I was quite alarmed to think, you know, these birds are killing snakes and stuff to just yeah get their underwear. They're pretty aggressive. <laughs> if you could do a version of that for me, but with like bread, <laughs> I'd be into that. Um, after that metal one, I wanted to put in a nice one. Uh, bonobos. Oh yeah. Um, so they're one of the few, if not the only, um, animal in the animal kingdom that give gifts just for the social aspect of it, mm-hmm. and they don't just give it to others in their tribe and that they know. Just completely random. If they see one in the wild, they'll often give them apples and bananas, just because they like giving gifts. Yeah. Obviously, you can imagine like most animals are so protective of their food. Not these guys at all. Yeah. They think the theory is that their mentality is like, if you thrive, I thrive. So they just 
They're they're very friendly and community based. I don't think there's ever been a recorded example of a bonobo on bonobo murder. Mm. Um, and also they are all banging all the time. <laughs> they have they yeah they all have sex with um any gender of the species like multiple times a day it's how they that's how they remain so chilled out i want to come back as a bonobo <laughs> they are pretty great yeah. yeah um quick mention cats you did say earlier wild cat mothers bring home dead or dying animals in order to teach their kittens how to hunt yes so if you do own a cat and it's bringing you dead stuff it's because he thinks you're useless yeah <laughs> yeah which is most cats yeah and most cat owners <laughs> Um, another one I think you like, cowbirds. Is it a cow? Is it a bird? <laughs> well, I I think it's a bit tenuous that it's called a gift. I think this is quite dark, actually. Okay. We'll say they, they gift their own offspring to other people, other birds. But I wouldn't say it's a gift. It's it's more just palming them off. Yeah. <laughs> they they lay their eggs in the nests of unsuspecting other birds, mm. not cowbirds, other any old species. They lay their um, eggs, and then that bird becomes the oblivious foster parent of their mm. cowbird. Like cuckoos. Spring. Yeah. Yeah. And more often than not, cowbirds will hatch quicker, eat more, eat like more than the horse kind of chicks there and just generally be greedy nuisances yeah so yeah it's kind of like when you come to visit me <laughs> take over the nest unsuspecting. eat all my stuff drink half a liter of amaretto for breakfast thanks cowbird um moths yeah uh cyanide oh our old friend cyanide festive yeah We've mentioned cyanide so many times on this podcast now. We should be sponsored by Big Cyanide. <laughs> um, Six-spot burnet moths. They produce their own cyanide, which they use as a defence mechanism. Um, but it does also use a lot of their energy and nutrient reserves. Uh, a female moth, burnet moth, can detect how much cyanide a male has through his pheromones. Um, so they opt to mate with the males with the most cyanide because essentially they really are and they can defend them. <laughs> nice. Trophy moth husband. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's a party without balloons? Um, shit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dance fly would agree. Mm-hmm. Um. So they use saliva or silk to fashion a balloon made of hundreds of tiny bubbles to attract their uh, potential mates, and they dance with the balloon to attract them all. Wow. Uh, scientists have been looking into um, why some of them are different sizes and different constructions, and they think that essentially they overcompensate based on how confident they are in their mating prowess. Mm -hmm. uh, so if they feel like they're pretty good at what they do they don't need to overcompensate they just make a modest sized balloon and that's that mm -hmm. whereas if they're lacking confidence they make a bloody massive balloon some have even been known to put food scraps in there if they're really desperate wow <laughs> um and yeah but uh again that same study has seen that a medium-sized balloon has the most success because mm -hmm. you don't want an arrogant dance fly mm -hmm. but also as tempting as it is to go for a massive balloon filled with food there's a lot more competition there and you don't right. want to have to fight for that so just go for the medium sized balloon and you don't want one that's kind of like well endowed but lazy exactly you want to go for the middle ground yeah i agree i agree so yeah size doesn't matter <laughs> Um, but how much food you can give me does. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> I'm of an age now where I'm like, oh, I just, I'll just have the food, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> the D stands for delivery. <laughs> the, the big, the big D. D. <laughs> oh, last on my list, kingfishers. Mm. This one's quite fun. Um, so these guys have the ability to open their mouths to reveal a second extendable mouth. Uh, and they usually swallow their prey head first using that technique. Like alien? Just, yeah. Literally. When I was researching this, they kept referring back to alien. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so yeah, they usually swallow their prey, prey head first, but when they're trying to impress a mate, they reverse it. They'll hold a fish backwards in their mouth, and then they'll open their beaks and just protrude this like fish just head first, looking at their mate. Amazing. <laughs> um, they did think it was just like a mating dancer prowess thing, an impressive thing. But again, more studies. Uh, they found that the more fish a female was given, the more eggs she laid. Mm-hmm. Theory being that um, the energy that she conserves by not having to go and hunt for a fish, yeah. she can use to make more eggs. Yeah. Makes sense. And that's that. Thank you. That was Animal delightful game. and gross. Yes. And a bit sexy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a little bit of coffee left if you uh, want to top of... Top of my litre of amaretto. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do that for you. It might, I, might taste while you were, now. <laughs> it might taste coffee. While you were doing your um your section, I poured myself another but put some amaretto in it this time. So I've had a bit of both. Naughty. Um, would you like a present? Yeah. I've gone for... Oh. Minimal slash medium wrapping effort, as in they're not wrapped, but they're in a bag, which um, I think says something about my prowess. You've gone one up on me. They're in my bag, and I'm just going to pull them out and go, dinner. Yeah, great. <laughs> oh, what's in here? Dirty cow. I've seen this. A plant-based creme liqueur. Vegan Bailey's. I thought because we were in liqueur territory for today, I'd get you your own liqueur. And because it's called Dirty Cow, I you thought of you. Dirty Cow. Oh, thanks. There's a little thing in there as well. Okay. So, <laughs> if you cast your mind back to um, Champagne episode yes that came. and we were talking about yeah the i think it's probably the last time we recorded one here actually was um we did we drank champagne yeah and you were talking about how to store it properly we myth busted don't put a spoon in it it doesn't do anything yeah so this is a a bottle stopper specifically for champagne or, or prosecco Okay. Um, because it won't fly off, it has kind of a clamping a effect clamp. on it. It looks like a torture device. I got it because we talked about it and it is useful, but also for the irony of the fact that I know you will never use it. <laughs> I'm sure we said in that episode, like, who doesn't finish a bottle? Yeah, exactly. It's like, she's never going to use it, so I'm going to get that for her. It's going to go in my cutlery drawer until I die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. Do you want some gifts? Mm-hmm. Okay. Hang on, shall I put them in this bag? Yeah, yeah, go on. I won't look. Put them in that bag and give it back to me. Cool. Free gift in it. Best. Um, one might, one might pop a bit fast. Okay. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <gasps> oh, I love, I love the bag. Yeah. My little boutique. Yeah, I can tell. Um, I don't know where it's from. Delightful. I'm going to take the bottle out first. I'm straight from Swansea. <laughs> Beaujolais! I'm surprised they had uh, any left after Beaujolais Dane Swansea, which at time of recording was just a few days ago. Exactly. Well, I bought it a few days ago and it just made me laugh that I couldn't even find this year's... Mm-hmm. <laughs> we say that because if you haven't listened to the Beaujolais episode, which was about a thousand years ago now, um, Beaujolais Day in Swansea is a really massive event where everyone has lots of drinks. It just so happens that almost none of them are Beaujolais. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just excited at the fact that I could buy some Beaujolais in Swansea. Thank you. That's a well. delight. I'm going to go for this little treat. Mm-mm-mm. Some liqueur-filled chocolates. Yes. Um, and they look like they might be the sort that hang, do they? Are they hangers? Or are they just little bottles? Sure. They're cute anyway. I can see cherry brandy. Mm-hmm. I can see triple sec. I've got some cherry brandy on the side. Maybe we should have some of that after our coffee. Yeah. And some amaretto. Yum. Yum yums. Thank you very much. What's Christmas without liqueur chocolates? Exactly. Mm. And a little bookie book. <laughs> Misconceptions: A guide to the world's most popular myths. Myth busted the book, essentially. <laughs> exactly, myth busting for dummies. Yep. Um, highlights in the back: You do not need to wait thirty minutes after eating before you swim. Oh. Sugar does not make children hyper. Mm-hmm. Gum doesn't take seven years to digest if you swallow it. Ancient Greek sculptures were not painted white, and lightning can strike in the same place twice. Oh, wow. 
thought that might come in handy for a little episode we were planning last night as well. Yes. Mm. Yes, indeed. Lots of useful facts. I saw one on alcohol just now when I was flipping through. Uh, oh, alcohol does not kill brain cells. The subject of many health warnings and many jokes, the truth is that alcohol does not, in and of itself, kill brain cells, at least not in a healthy adult. But as everyone knows, what it does do is inhibit the communication between dendrites, the connecting endings of neurons, that send and receive information. In other words, the drinker gets drunk. Someone who has been abusing alcohol excessively for years might suffer various kinds of brain damage, but that is a result of the effects of alcohol on the body over time, such as malnutrition, rather than the alcohol itself going to the brain and killing cells. I believe I did actually cover that on the memory episode. I think we did. Yeah. Nice. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, everyone. Should we finish the episode? Should we do some more? Yes. Um, so, do you have um, any etiquette around bringing booze to a dinner party, for example? I always do, usually. Yeah? Yeah. Any other rules or just, like, just bring it? Any expectations? Like, just not shit. <laughs> I so, I was I'm not gonna name any names. Actually maybe I shouldn't. Well fuck it. Um <laughs> <laughs> I once cooked a big dinner for lots of people and I was a little bit annoyed because somebody brought a very, very, very cheap, nasty bottle of alcohol and I just thought it was rude. Right. Mm. So this is this is the biggest bone of contention, I think, when you're bringing so bottle of wine to a party is What's the price point and also kind of what did they already have in stock compared to what I mm -hmm. brought, which can go both ways. Mm -hmm. Either you bringing something cheap and they serve something expensive or you bring something expensive and they serve something cheap. Yeah. So the the official etiquette guides that I saw kind of from most places says, when bringing wine to a dinner party, the first thing you must understand is that the wine should always be seen as a gift you're giving to the host. Wine is a thank you for the hosting. Uh, so while the bottle you bring will most likely be opened while you're over, one should never go in with that expectation. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. Or if you'd rather listen to the Daily Mail rather than etiquette experts, only idiots take wine to a dinner party, says TV etiquette expert, who claims your hosts will keep the good bottles and then serve you cheap plonk. Definitely got not going there for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the key is buy what you think is an appropriate thank you, but only kind of give it as a thank you and not with the expectation that that will be drunk at the time. Like, I want to serve cheap shit at my dinner parties. I want it to be really nice. I don't want people to be like, oh, this is great. Absolutely. Um, which I think leads me on to hampers mm. as an extension of that. Um can do a bit of history. One of the earliest recorded uses of hampers dates to the 11th century in William the Conqueror, who is credited with bringing them to England. The word hamper comes from the French hanapier, which means a case for goblets. So the tradition of giving hampers as gifts begins much later in the Victorian period, but that's just the root of the word, mm -hmm. which you can imagine, like, you know, putting your goblets and your wine in a hamper and then going on a picnic or something. Yeah. They, that's what they're talking about. Um, but in the Victorian period, wealthy families would put together a basket of food and drink and present it to their staff at Christmas. That's where that kind of Christmas hamper vibe comes from, the Victorians. And then, because the railways were getting so good around that time, it meant that they could also send hampers over long distances. So that became then just a more common gift to send to people further away instead of just kind of the stuff in your house because of the trains mm -hmm. and then as it becomes easier to import um, goods from countries all over the world the contents of the hampers improve they diversify during world war one as well gift hampers were donated to the red cross to be sent to soldiers and prisoners of war overseas it gave them a care package taste of home um what we call a gift hamper is also sometimes referred to as gift baskets mm -hmm. in the UK um, rather than a hamper as it is in most of the countries and that's because um, we have that tradition of a gift in a, a, a basket like a specifically a wicker basket was our, our tradition of what we put it in. The other thing I'll add about kind of the language of hamper is that if you say you want a tasty hamper in the US you might get some funny looks because a lot of people there just call like the laundry basket the hamper. Oh, okay. 
So you might you might be given some old pants instead of a nice bottle of champagne and some scones. Okay, all good. Be aware of that. Would you like to hear about some expensive hampers? Yes, please. I knew this like history done. Let's get on to what's in them. Probably the most expensive food hamper ever, uh, as has been recorded in the press anyway, has a value in excess of £85,000. Yep. Um, it's from a company, it's online, Very First Two, um, which I've never heard of. But there you go. The drinks alone cost £67,000. Christ. And it includes um, Cognac, Jules Robin, £17,89. The Glenlivet, Murray Chandon, Dom Perignon, 1961. The Charles and Diana Magnum, which was the champagne served at their wedding. Uh, I don't know why you'd want that. It That seems like doomed. Yes. It doesn't seem... Yeah. Anyway. Um, 2002, Romane Conti, um, a Burgundy, a red wine. And then a white wine in 2002, Le Mont Rachat. Um, it comes as well with caviar and truffles and foie gras and all those kind of like really gross things that they think make campers high-end i just i'm amazed how it's 77 no 67 grand for the drinks mm-hmm. and that was only what like five bottles yeah <laughs> yeah it's a very it's a very ridiculous hamper that you know i don't think anyone would buy um fortnum and mason mm-hmm. i'll tell you about them they have some tasty things they have some gross things in as well yeah um so they, they've got kind of, you know, they're focusing on luxury brands. Uh, the Expedition Hamper cost a £1,000. Um, it's got a cheese knife set in it. <laughs> I'll, I'll go over some of the things they've got in there. Okay. They've got the usual caviar and foie gras. Like get a grip. Smoked salmon, Stilton, a venison, pate. There's, there's themes going on there and the theme is gout. Um <laughs> But they have got some boozes as well. They've got the Fontenay Mason Highland Single Malt. Um, they've got olives. They've got champagne. Um, the Fortnum, the Fortnum's Vintage Champagne. Oh yeah, some wines. Chateau Lacoste, Bory. It's all the Fortnum's kind of brand ones. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, there's a Selfridges one for a thousand pounds. Bargain. Now. When you look at the the Fortnum's one, although I don't want to eat the stuff, at least you're like, I see the theme. It's you know, it's fancy. It's all these kind of like diverse things. They're special, specially selected. Mm-hmm. Selfridges have gone down the route of kind of like, let's just throw some basic things in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you get some beef eater gin in there, uh, some plantation rum, um, some Campari, <laughs> some orange bitters. Some brute champagne, a Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc, some <laughs> fever tree tonic water. Mm. Like there was, it's not horrible. Yeah. But you just kind of think, why would I buy a thousand pounds worth of things I could get in the supermarket? So I was thinking you could probably make that yourself for yeah. half the price, if not less. Exactly. So not buying Selfridges hamper. Um, Harrods have one for five thousand pounds. Can you guess some of the things that might be in there? Five thousand pounds. So maybe one bottle of booze. Mm-hmm. Um, Harrods. They've always they've got like a food hall of a day. They've always got like an oyster bar and a caviar bar. So mm-hmm. they, they, just all the gout stuff. This is yeah. This is their most expensive hamper that I've looked at. So you think it would contain kind Truffle, of champagne yeah, and champagne. gout foods? Truffles, maybe. It entirely contains tea. 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 Whoa. Yep. So it's their uh, it's their finest teas, the tea of the year collection hamper. Has the A to Z of the world's finest teas. Um so <laughs> they come in a silk lined trunk and a ba- they have um porcelain tea service from Thailand accented with 18 karat gold. Who's buying this? <laughs> I don't know, we need to make inquiries. But you've got like, yeah. Um <laughs> Assam and some Ceylon and some chamomile and Darjeeling, you know, like all the classics. I'm sure it is the best tea you can get. It's a, an extensive list. Um, 52. For tea. 52 teas. I mean, if you're really into tea and you don't drink, 
that's the luxury rate you're going to go down. But I was surprised to learn that their most expensive hamper at Harrods entirely contains tea. Bloody hell. Yeah. Um, we're coming towards the end. I thought I'd just mention that, um, you know, often booze is given as gifts in cases of diplomacy. Mm-hmm. So when you get um, visit when world leaders visit each other, um, or you know diplomatic gifts, and I think it's well obviously it comes from a, an older tradition whereby if you had dignitaries visiting a country, you'd be expected to provide for them, you know, drinks and food and accommodation and entertainment and everything else. So history, we don't really do that so much anymore because people tend to fly over, have a meeting, then fly out again. Um, so it's part of that tradition, but also a way to showcase your exports as a country to kind of bring attention, especially if it's not as well known. Yeah. Um, perhaps. I, I remember when Barack Obama was over and David Cameron gave him a bottle of whiskey um, and some stuff about Northern, it was all Northern Ireland yeah. themed. But we do often give whiskey um, from the UK as gifts to other countries because it's obviously one of our biggest exports from Scotland. Yeah. You find Mexico give tequila a lot, Turkey gives coffee a lot. Um, but if you are going to give a gift to a UK minister, it has to come under £140, otherwise they're not allowed to accept it. Yeah. So none of those hampers uh, you would be able to offer to any ministers. Um, I'm not going to get satirical and say other ways they might be um, accepting gifts, but officially it has to be under £140. I think in the US it's something like it's under no, under 350 80 something like that, dollars. Mm-hmm. So they can take a bit more than we can. We're pretty cheap by comparison when you look at what we're allowed to accept. Question for you then, what boozy gift would you offer to foreign dignitaries that exemplifies your brand as a person? Um, a single Jager bomb that they'd have to do with me there and then. Yeah, it would be shots, wouldn't it? Yeah, just a shot. Yeah. They wouldn't have to worry about the price because we'd be drinking it immediately. <laughs> nice. <laughs> How about you? Oh, uh, I, um, I think I'd have to go for London Pride because uh, it's gay, it's bitter and it's full of carbs. You thought about that. <laughs> Might have. <laughs> uh, that's it. Anything else to add? No, I'm going to drink some dirty cow. Mm, yes, let's crack open your dirty cow. <laughs> and so our glasses have run dry, which means it's time to wrap this thing up and re-gift it like an unwanted child. <laughs> Cheers, everybody. You can always hear me sing in this song Show me the way to go home